We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land on which we are recording today. We would also like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who are listening today. It all started 10 years ago in my kitchen. I asked my family what about energy ratings, and after a short pause, it was yes, yes, and yes. Hi, my name's Jonathan Tavella, founder of Freighter Consulting Services, director of Sustainability Tech Partners, and co-host of this podcast, which we've aptly named Sustainable. It's a series of episodes which aims to equip you, the listener, with the knowledge I've gathered on my journey. We'll be speaking with industry leaders that have a pivotal role in the sustainability movement. It's all about joining the dots for you. Joining the dots indeed. And as you've just heard, Jonathan has a wealth of experience under his belt when it comes to sustainability and the building industry. Me, not so much. Hi, I'm Neary Tai and I'll be the co-host on this podcast. Jonathan, my friend, has roped me along and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two on this sustainable journey. So if you're like me and want to build a dream home one day that's more environmentally friendly, hopefully by the end of this series, you'll be more informed and equipped to do so. This is Sustainable. It's not just about cutting energy bills and meeting minimum energy star ratings. Let's take it to a much deeper level. It's how you feel in your home and how your home makes you feel. Some say it's about living and breathing the greener life and no one knows that more than Madeline Sewell. She's the director of an award-winning design firm called Breathe. It's at the forefront of sustainability architecture. Madeline talks us through the journey of building an ESD home, no matter your location and budget, and the importance of using recyclable materials. We've got Madeline Sewell in studio this morning, Director of Breathe, an award-winning architecture firm based here in Melbourne with offices in Brunswick as well as Alinda in the Dandenong Ranges. Welcome, Madeline. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, Tell me a little bit about Breathe. Breathe is a carbon neutral and B Corp certified design studio and architecture firm in Brunswick. We work across a range of scales and typologies from hospitality, commercial, multi-res apartments, and um, single-family homes. And I guess the common thread in all of the work that we do is um, a big focus on sustainability. Yeah, and some would say you're sort of trailblazers in the industry. Well, yeah. (laughs) When credit's central, I take it. (laughs) We do our best to, you know, I guess um, keep up with all the research and all of the, you know, developments and technology that are coming out. And um, it's been really exciting, you know, in the, I guess, nine years that I've been at Breathe. I feel like when I started, sustainability was a bit of a niche sort of angle for architecture. And now it's incredibly um, sort of ubiquitous with architecture. So it's been exciting to see that become less niche actually. Mm. I was just about to ask you that like what's your clientele like obviously nine years ago it might have been would it be like sort of the middle-aged couple wanting a tree change and you know sort of really environmentally conscious now it's more like younger families wanting to build a environmentally sustainable designed home like have you found that over the the past decade there's it's becoming 
more popular? Yeah, absolutely, Neri. I think, um, yeah, nine years ago. I mean, Breathe has been in practice for over 20 years, but I've been with the business for nine years. But certainly in the time that I've been there, I have definitely seen a change in, um, yeah, sort of it being sort of a specialized um, sector of the industry that people who were particularly values aligned sought out. But I think there's been tremendous market change um, in the last nine or 10 years. Um, and also just like demand on the market for for buildings and systems and architecture that really um, aligns with people's values and people really understand their impact in a more meaningful way. And um, yeah, and they want a house or a restaurant or, a, you know, or workplace that speaks to those values. Yeah, I think it's so cool how it's not only residential homes, but you're also doing cafes and businesses. Talk me through some of those um, projects that really sort of stand out to you and really represent Breathe. Oh, I think one Good of the question. Things- Great question. I just find this interesting. Like it's it's becoming more sort of mainstream in a sense. I mean, it actually started at the homes, and now Mm. there's been a huge transition in office spaces. Mm. Like where you work is now needs to be of a of a certain type of feel when you walk in there. Very very similar to a home. So yeah, and you guys would be at the forefront of designing those spaces as well. Yeah, totally. And actually, the like I would say the opportunity for impact with some of those spaces, like um, commercial and hospitality, like those spaces that have a shorter lifespan in construction, um, is almost increased in some ways because people expect to live in their house or, or for a house to be there for 50 or 100 years. You know, office fit-outs and hospitality fit-outs, they really do kind of turn over pretty quickly. So I think it's even more important to think really sustainably about how those are put together and, even, like, you know, potentially more importantly, how they're taken back apart as well and what happens to those materials yeah. at the end of their life. Where do we even start? Like, if I came to you tomorrow and said, Madeline, I want to build a home, in metropolitan Melbourne, mm. where do we even start? What would you, what's the process? What's the journey you would take me on? So most people that come to us already have a site. Um, but if you, you know, if you don't have a site, site selection alone is like, you know, a whole thing, <laughs> being close to things that are important to you, public transit, if you don't want to drive every day, stuff like that. Um, but I think, so a lot of our projects and I'm the director of houses at Breeze, so I do the single family homes. Um, and, you know, I think to start, with we really want to understand how people live now and what's working for them and what's not working for them Um, and then kind of apply that to the site what the opportunities are what the constraints are Um, we think a lot about how we can revitalize the existing building stock um, that we're working with so if there is a house on the property already looking for opportunities to make that work better for you and your family so sometimes like a lot of people really quite love the inherent character of older houses and Melbourne has so many beautiful uh, terrace houses and bungalows but the thermal performance is really problematic Um, and of course we're thinking lots these days about um, operational energy and how much energy it takes to heat and cool a building. So a big exercise for us is improving the thermal performance of the existing building stock and then looking at opportunities to make insertions into that building, potentially an extension, potentially a reduction, um, and looking at reconfiguring spaces, looking at opportunities to bring in more light, more ventilation, um, and improve the quality of life. So I guess it depends on what they really want. If there's like an existing, for example, like triple brick home, like post-war or something, Mm. you would, and they were like 
desperate to keep it because they love that period, for example, you would work with them to try and improve that somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sometimes that means I'm overclouding the entire building and adding insulation. Sometimes it means replacing the windows, the single glazed windows with high performance, double glazed timber windows that are thermally broken. Um, And sometimes it means taking the entire building apart and recycling the bricks into a new structure. It really depends on the condition of the building, but definitely we're constantly looking for opportunities to reduce the impact of the new building um, by looking at the embodied energy that's already on site and whether we can leave some of that in place or we can take it apart and put it back together in a different way. That's amazing. Embodied energy, one of those terms. I know. Um, And what about location? How does that, I guess, impact your design or, you know, if someone was to live in Coburg as opposed to Alinda? Hmm, That's an interesting question. When we think about context at Breeze, I think at the macro and the micro scale. So we're talking about microclimates and, you know, local breezes and local, you know, sun patterns and the winter sun and the summer sun. But we're also talking about global context and climate change and biodiversity crisis. And what can we do about these issues um, on this very small site and this small opportunity? Mm-hmm. There's always um, the chance to to have an impact on those larger global issues as well. Um, so I think, um, yeah, thinking about it from all the scales, and that's a big part of our early design process. And it's really important to discuss that at the beginning with your client, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to get to the point where you're like, you've designed it, or how important is it to sort of really map it out at the very beginning? So I think the question... Sorry, my yeah, question I'll, I'll, I'll refine the question, because <laughs> I, I know the angle you're coming at. So... <laughs> to achieve the optimum sustainable outcome at the end yeah. when it's key, keys hand over and, mm. and everyone moves in, how much easier does it make it when those principles and that objective is set out from the start versus, hey, let's start designing a house and then, oh, let's oh, start wait, exploring yeah. a flat roof or <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question and one we've been talking a lot about in-house actually because we're, we've been... Uh, exploring a lot of different avenues at the moment for um, life cycle analysis and embodied energy calculations, um, which is a bit dragony, but it means like how much energy has gone into the construction of the building through the materials, through the transport of the materials to site, through the manufacturing process. And so I think, um, yeah, Jonathan, to your question, the opportunities for having big impact on the embodied energy are at the beginning of the project. Um, So there are the big moves there. How big is the house? Like, do you need a second living room? Do you need a fourth bedroom? Do you need a second bathroom? Um, So really working with the clients at the very beginning of the project, the brief writing, um, like um, helping people understand how much space they really need to live in, and if a and if a space or a building can be used flexibly, how much less space they might need, because every square meter of space has an impact on the planet and an ongoing impact to heat and cool. Um, and then looking at what materials we're building out of, you know, concrete, masonry. Those materials are higher in embodied energy, but they also are um, thermal mass, so they stabilize temperature long term. So looking at What's thermal mass. It is using materials that are typically kind of like weighty materials like concrete and stone. They create thermal drag in a space. So if you have a lightweight structure, air can move pretty easily between the walls um, 
and inside and outside inside and outside exactly so if you're heating or cooling a space inside you lose that heat through the walls and that effect is slowed if you have thermal mass so it stores it's it's sort of like a low-tech battery so if you're heating a space inside and you've got a concrete slab or you have a fireplace going in a stone fireplace you'll probably notice that those materials heat up um, or like you know the dog is always laying on the concrete slab on a hot day because it stays cool so those materials create thermal drive in change of temperature. So if you think about over the course of the day, the diurnal temperature swings, they peak, you know, at daytime and then they drop off at nighttime. Thermal mass kind of takes the highs and lows out of the peaks and drops and it stabilizes temperature over 24 hours, which creates thermal comfort without having to use mechanical heating and cooling. I'm taking notes. Ah. (laughs) Jotting it down. Definitely one of the tenants. Your notepad's already full. We're we're 14 minutes into a (laughs) conversation. I need my notes. You've got a lot of notes. (laughs) So design's factoring in a lot of these fundamental sustainability Yeah, and yeah, so the opportunity is greater um, at the beginning of the project to have um, to have big impact on yeah. how much embodied energy is there. But then, um, you know, at Breathe, I guess we, we really carry that lens all the way through the granular scale. So we think about what materials we're using. Can we get them locally? Can we get them recycled? Are they recyclable? Can we use recycled floorboards or bricks that are already on site so we can avoid the transport? And then thinking really thoughtfully about how those materials are assembled mechanically, so not using adhesives, not using glues, so that they can be separated at the end of their life and put into different waste streams because once you glue those things together or you use an engineered product like engineered timber floorboards, these things all have binders in them and they can't be separated again. So we look to use materials that are 100% recyclable and then put them together in a way that doesn't compromise that. That's amazing. It's not just about building a home and it's going to be there for decades. It's thinking about, okay, hang on, how do we, what about later down the track? Mm. If we want to remodel it or recycle. What about budget? Like, because we're talking about materials and sourcing locally, internationally. How does budget play into this? Good question, because I do feel like there's a bit of a rumor that sustainable architecture is more expensive. Um, But And I think, you know, for some really techy aspects of sustainable architecture, that could be true, like automated home systems and things like that. But I think... Um, when you pair it back and you think about, you know, one of the mantras we have at Breathe is build less, give more. So what we're actually doing is simplifying construction, not making it more complicated. Yeah. If you're building a smaller house because you rationalize the brief, that costs less. If you're putting less materials in the house um, and every material serves a functional purpose and a thermal purpose or an air tightness purpose, and they're not just, you know, cladding surfaces for aesthetic reasons, it costs less. Um, so I think, um, you know, we really, we think about sustainability um, as being a process of reduction and a simplification of the construction industry. Um, and then a lot of big moves in sustainability are free, um, which are just like, you know, they're just being um, thoughtful about how you're orienting the building. Like it doesn't cost any more um, to orient, you know, your house to the north or mm-hmm. to provide shading to the east and west mm-hmm. or to rationalize the window to wall ratios so that you're not losing heaps of heating and cooling through your walls. Um, like all, all of those big sort of fundamentals of passive design that help rationalize um, thermal performance. They don't cost any more. It's just about thinking those things through at early stages. You've designed a house 
the clients are happy, how involved can an architect be? How involved do Breathe get in engaging a builder or tendering with a builder, engaging a builder and, and seeing that specification roll through to the end? Pretty involved, yeah. <laughs> we're really, I mean, we're really involved and I think... Um, so Neary wants to, she's come to Breathe. Hmm. Does she necessarily have to have Breathe all the way through the project or is that management of the builder something that the owners can take on board if they wish? They definitely can if they wish to. I would say, um, you know, we always say the best outcome is like when we can stay involved and help troubleshoot throughout the process. Like I think with construction, we always say, you you know, every new built house or bespoke house is a one-to-one prototype. Like it's never been built before. Mm. So there are unanticipated things that come up on site, particularly with renovations as well, because sometimes you don't know until you start demolition what the actual wall buildup is or what the actual condition of the structure is. You've got to be prepared to pivot um, when you're yeah. building something that's never been built before. And, um, you know, architects, that's our day-to-day. Um, and we're pretty accustomed to being able to work through those details and find a solution that's just as great if not better and so I think you know we can be a real ally through construction but definitely as far as like finding a builder you know for us at Breathe we have you know a a collection of builders that we have built relationships with over the last um, five ten years that we've delivered many many houses with and there are go-tos. What makes them different? Well, I mean, one is that their values align. So they they all they definitely really care about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, you know, we've got builders that, you know, really champion our zero waste attitude and um, you know, have composting on site for, you know, their trades and um, you know, only have key cups on site, no um takeaway coffees and things like that. So it's really great to work with people who really champion that. But the other thing is relationships. You know, I think the success of a bespoke construction projects like that can really lie on, um, you know, the three-way partnership between the client, the builder, and the architect. And if you genuinely um, enjoy working together and enjoy each other and you want to all find a solution that works for everyone, it can make the process much more smooth. Because the builders can help you find solutions as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. They know a lot more than I do in a lot of in a lot of aspects. Um, and so, yeah, we definitely we rely on their expertise and um, we actually get them involved really early in our projects as well. So all the way from the end of concept design, once we've kind of sketched up an idea, that's when we first start talking to a builder because they can give us advice on buildability and on how they would put things together. And, you know, to your earlier question, Yuri, about budget, like if we, um, you know, are trying to meet certain budget targets, they can work with us on in the construction industry is always fluctuating. Sometimes masonry is more expensive. Sometimes it's less expensive. Sometimes timber is more expensive. Sometimes it's less expensive. So they can feed that um, advice kind of real time into our design process. Um, and we can use that advice to make strategic decisions and keep projects on track from a budget perspective while we move through the design process. What about going off the grid? Can you go off the grid in suburbia? I know this is a bit of a You can. <laughs> you can go off the grid in suburbia if you want to. It is expensive to do if you um, have a mains power connection. <laughs> like, I guess... Um, off-grid properties uh, rely on battery power, um, and um, 
you can certainly be, I guess for clients who have a mains power connection, um, but it probably makes more sense to size your solar panels and do your energy calculations to be self-sufficient, but not necessarily off-grid. Because to be truly off-grid, you need so much redundancy and you need a generator as well in, in the event of a power issue with your solar panels, yeah. um, in the event that there's a natural disaster yeah. and or something affects your ability to produce energy. Um, so I would say if you lived in the suburbs and you wanted to be net like net zero, um, meaning that you're generating as much power as you're using, you certainly can do that. Does it make sense to actually cut your man's power connection and put in a, gener- a generator? Like you certainly could, but I would say probably it's a very expensive way to have really no greater impact than being net zero and having the mains power as your effectively your generator as your mains backup. It's been a great chat, by the way, this morning. What are the main things that you want our listeners to walk away knowing or just remembering? On this topic. (laughs) Of building sustainable (laughs) homes. You're like in life in general? Dating advice? Yeah. <laughs> Healthy eating tips? Words of wisdom? We're not a dating podcast. Don't go down that path. This podcast is really taking a turn. <laughs> um, I guess, um, like, number one for us is build less, give more. Like, think about what your requirements actually are. What do you need? How can you live um, or design your house to be flexible to suit your needs currently and possible future needs? Um, without actually increasing the building footprint. It's a bit of a creative challenge, um, but one that we love sort of nutting through with clients. Thanks, Madeline. Thanks for We're having done. me. Thanks Lovely for to coming. chat to you. Thanks for listening to Sustainabible. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Click on the links for more information on the topics we've discussed today. Mm-hmm.